I'm so glad to see you. We're going to begin a series in the book of Genesis this morning, uh, just called In the Beginning. And we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 through 11. And kind of the subtitle of this is God and the Origin of Everything. Because the first 11 chapters of Genesis really contain in germ, at least, uh, the basics, uh, the basis for human existence and even the basis for God's redemptive purposes in human history. Uh, Tim Mackey, uh, Dr. Mackey, although he hates to be called that, uh, I was talking with him about Genesis 1 through 11. He gets together with a group of Old Testament scholars actually a couple times a year, uh, that some of the top Hebrew scholars in the world, and they are actually working through what they argue is that the, um, the patterns or the, uh, those, what he calls um, these kind of textual repetitions that happen throughout the scripture that are all everything points back to the first 11 chapters of Genesis, everything. Uh, that the themes, first mentions, all of these things that, uh, that give us insight into what it means to be image bearers of God is wrapped up in these first 11 chapters. The archetypes of human personality are wrapped up in these 11 chapters. Sin and God's redemptive purposes are wrapped up in these 11 chapters. And so I'm really excited for this series. I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. And so today, we're just gonna begin with the first verse. And really, this verse is the beginning of the story. Um, I wanna just begin by saying this. In Genesis 1-1, we are introduced to the author of the story, as well as the theme. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created everything up there and everything down here. In the beginning, God. The author is God himself. G.K. Chesterton in his dis discussion in orthodoxy around his conversion said that I saw that the world was full of magic and if it was full of magic, there must be a magician. That the world seemed to be telling a story and if it's telling a story, there must be a storyteller. That there is a story being told and we are participants in that story. And what I want us to consider today is that this is A, God's story. That B, it's God's work, and that C, it is God's domain. That He is the author, He is the creator, and He is the Lord of everything. And I want to consider at the end, if that is true, then what kind of author? What kind, what kind of creator? What kind of Lord is He? And that answer must be wrapped up in God's complete revelation that He has given to us through His Son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. If we want to know what kind of God we're talking about, what kind of author, creator, Lord we are talking about, we need look no further than the face of Jesus. I think it is important for us to recognize that this statement pushes against all of the false systems 
that are so prevalent in our world today. It teaches us that God exists in Himself as a supreme being apart from the world. And as biblical Christians, we must affirm that God has no fundamental need of the world. No fundamental need. That His act of creating everything that is, is a work of His graciousness. It is the outflow of His love. What I like to say is that God does not need any of us, but He has chosen in His sovereign freedom to not exist without us. That in His creating, He actually sovereignly created space for risk and failure and the mess of human existence. But when we recognize that none of that can override His essential goodness or where the story is ultimately going, then we begin to feel the tension and the beautiful mystery of God's sovereignty over creation and our responsibility and the mess that we make of it. So I want to begin here with God's story. In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now we have to ask, what is this word beginning? Or we could say at the beginning. But there's, there is a, a, a Hebrew word, and it is, the word is reshit. And it means beginning, or what comes first, the starting point. It can be first and best, or first fruit. It is the supreme. It's the best. It's the start. It's not just a statement about the start of the story, but it is also a statement about the supremacy of the one who tells the story. That there is a beginning, and this beginning begins with the one who is. It's not just a time statement, because you know in Ephesians when it says, before the foundation of the world, he, we were chosen in Him. And we get freaked out by that statement. It's a statement about election. And, and we're like, well, he chose, he chose us before the foundation of the world. A decision was made back then about us. It's not a back then statement. Because before the beginning, it wasn't time as we know it. It's just God. Before the foundation of the world is not a statement of time. It's a statement about a decision that was made in God. Before the foundation of the world means that in God there was a decision to create and to redeem and to reconcile and to allow a story to be told that at times feels like God is not in control, but ultimately we as Christians know the beginning and the end, and we also know who the author of the beginning and the end is, because what are we told in Scripture about Jesus? He is the author and the finisher of our faith. When we talk about God as the beginning, we can't just talk about God without beginning actually with Jesus because with the revelation of who Jesus is we actually have to start with him as the full understanding of this passage and this is why we are told in the gospel of John which parallels Genesis 1 1 John 1 verses 1 through 2 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God 
Jesus is the Logos. In Greek, that, that is, it's difficult for us to translate that word, Logos. We translate it as word, but probably a better translation would be word in action. He is the eternal word or the eternal son. That we are talking about personality. And you'll see in verse 2 that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And I, I think that this is important because what we are dealing with here is in the beginning was the one true God who is triune. That is, that He is a God who is at His very core relational. That He is Father, Son, and Spirit. Before time began, there wasn't a different kind of time. There just was God. And in that relational community of the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, there was a decision made to put into motion creation. That for whatever reason, and there is mystery involved here, God thought the risk of creating beings in His image was worth it. Because clearly we have made a mess of that image. Clearly we have actually forgotten that we're a part of a grand story. And sadly, much of the world has forgotten that it's a part of a story where there's an author. They're not even thinking about the author. And I want us to be thinking about this because here we see it. Story is the appropriate word. Jesus is the living word. God spoke creation into existence. God spoke and it was so. You know, much of Portland's New Age theology is wrapped up around the idea that the universe itself is God and we're a part of God and everyone's a part of God and it's that panentheism um, vision where the, everything is ultimately divine, everything is a part of God. Uh, and this is one of the most damaging and unfortunate uh, views, worldviews out there uh, because I don't know about you, but I don't like to think of myself in terms of divine because if I'm divine, um, that sets the bar real low for what it means to create. <laughs> I'm creative, but I, I don't speak and things leap into existence. I don't, I, I, there needs to be a cause for everything that is. We are the effect, creation, the heavens and the earth are the effect, the outcome of the one true cause, God Himself. Now, if this is feeling like, oh man, you're already making my head hurt. Well, that's why we need to appeal to mystery and that's why I'm only gonna teach you for 30 minutes. So that I can make your head hurt for a minute. All I really want you to understand is that we are dealing with someone, not something. That at the back of the story of the, the foundation of the universe as we know it, I don't care if scientists are right about the Big Bang because they still are going to come up against a wall. Yeah, but what caused that? What caused that? And we as Christians say, the one who spoke. The one who spoke. The reason you and I are relational is because the one who spoke is the one who is three in one. 
a community within himself. We are made in the image of God, which means that we are made for others like ourselves and we are made for relationship with the very author of our lives and the author of everything in this world. He wants to know you and you to know him on an intimate level. And if that does not begin to blow your mind, then you're not allowing the Spirit of God to open up your mind to the depth of what that says about our God. That every grain of sand is numbered by Him. That not a sparrow falls to the ground without Him knowing it. That God is a God who is sovereign in creation. But let's not define sovereignty wrong. Many people try to define sovereignty as this idea that God is a God who controls everything that happens. It's what's called meticulous providence. This idea that everything that occurs has already been determined by God. But hey, let us never be comfortable with any man-made doctrine that turns God into the one responsible for our disasters. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. I think a better way to define sovereignty is that God in His freedom chose to create a world that could rebel against Him. And in His freedom has chosen to intervene into that rebellion and set it right. In other words, the author of the story allows a certain amount of freedom amongst the characters within that story but God ultimately has the power to even take the worst parts of that story and weave a new narrative in that actually overrides it, bringing about greater and greater beauty. This is what we see happening throughout the entire Bible. God's ability to take the worst that man can do in his rebellion against his Creator and take that rebellion and bring about his graciousness and his restoration by not eradicating the, the, the horrible things that happen, but actually taking it into himself and overriding it and bringing about redemption. This is one of the most powerful aspects of the gospel. And I think it allows for uh, the space for God to always be considered what he has always been considered to be through the foundation of the, through the history of the world, that he is good. That God is indeed good. And that God is indeed allowing things to play out and we do not understand the beginning from the end. But I promise you, as uh, I just did this podcast with um, a man whose wife uh, was murdered along with their unborn baby. And he now, he was a pastor. He went to a gym. And while he was at the gym, three people broke into his house and murdered his wife and his unborn child and didn't touch his, didn't touch his uh, eight-month-old son. And he had to work through that. If you want to listen to the podcast, it's, um, his name's Davey, um, Davey Blackburn, I believe, and the podcast is called Nothing is Wasted. But he has a ministry now of how God actually takes the most, the most painful aspects of human existence, the, re- the things that come out of the rebellion and has the ability to bring good and even beauty out of the most horrific things. This is the genius of the one who alone is the true author. And what I want us to feel is the weight 
of our own attempts to be the authors of our own lives. The reason I am trying to establish so clearly for you that God is ultimately in control of history without ever being responsible for the stupid things we do is that I want you to feel the awe at God's sovereignty and the hope that the best is yet to come and that we need not lose hope when it feels like the story has gotten out of control. We've all read the best books, the best narratives are ones that feel like the story could come apart at any moment. Like, how could it end this way? But here's the thing about God's story. It's, the, it's one of the only redemptive stories and it's the only true story that actually encompasses all of human history that ends actually a little bit like all of my wife's favorite movies with a happy ending. I mean, you know, usually if it has a happy ending in our films, it's, it just generally means it's probably not a very good film. Sadly, that's just kind of true. But the gospel is a powerful uh, stab into our own bleakness, our own, our own uh, considerations. The reason we tend to think those things are, are um, sentimental or not very good is because from our perspective, from our vantage, life seems pretty impossible. It seems pretty difficult. But the gospel proclaims that God will take all of the dissonant notes of the, our individual stories and weave them into His redemptive purposes. There is a beginning. And God is what was there before the beginning. And He is the one who put into motion everything that is because it's His story. And he will tell it till its completion. And we are moving toward that completion. He isn't just the author, he is also the creator. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word create uh, in the Hebrew is the word bara. And it is always described as divine activity of, a divine activity of fashioning something, um, fashioning something new. Even it is used often um, to describe a, a new work, something that is fresh, and even something that is perfect. When God creates, as we'll see next week, as He begins to create the heavens and the earth, as we begin to see the details of that creation unfold, again and again, He says what of His creation? He saw it and it was what? Good. And what does He mean by that? That it's what He intended. It's what he intended. And it is something that is completely original. Creation is an original work of God. And it was good. And it was what he intended. When we get to sin, we find that God is able to deal with something that he did not intend and actually bring back order by putting forth his redemptive purposes. Uh, and it's such a... It's so profound when you begin to think about the way that God in His sovereignty um, navigates the rebellion of His own creation um, and it culminating in the fact that the Creator became creature uh, is something that just, it, I, I never find myself coming to an end of just the awe and the mystery. Uh, if you can figure God out, if you think you've got Him figured out, I promise you your God is too small. His wisdom he is wholly other, as Bart called him. He is, he is 
we are like him in some ways, but there are ways in which we are nothing like him. We all have a beginning. God has no beginning and no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And as creator, he creates. He brings things into existence out of nothing. He created everything that is out of nothing. I actually used to hold to a, a very um, problematic view and that is that God created everything out of himself. But that's not what scripture declares. It declares that he created everything from nothing. That he spoke it into existence. It's not like how we create. Look what we have in John 1.3. All things were created by him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. This is speaking once again of Jesus. Of the Word of God, the living Word, the only begotten Son. John trying to establish so firmly that Jesus is not just the Messiah, a man sent by God to be the spokesperson or the mediator between God and man, but that Jesus Himself is one with God, that He is Himself is God. One of the greatest heresies that has plagued the church throughout its history and every time it's crept in has created a diminishment um, of the reality of the gospel and its power is the diminishment of the deity of Christ. The, the, the turning Him into a created being. He is the only begotten Son and He, the Father, creates through the Son by the Spirit. And we're told that all things are created by Him and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. This is something that I think is important for us to think through because if God is the creator of all that is, God is still in the business of creating anew. And as we move into our understanding of what it means to be, crea uh, uh, to be Christians, we need to understand that this, this creation um, theme this thread actually plays into what it means for us to be born again, to be made anew, to be made afresh. I, I love this because Jesus says, unless one, to Nicodemus, unless one be born again in John chapter 3, he can by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We're told in Paul's letters that if anyone be in Christ Jesus, the old has come and the new has, the old has left and the new has come. If anyone be in Christ Jesus, all things are new. That He is the firstborn over a new creation. Once again, we see God's, here is God's uh, His authority as the author to enter into His own story and put back into motion what He began at the beginning of the story. Genesis 1.1 there is a restoration of that story in many ways through the incarnation. Humanity spins out of control, bringing, bringing uh, destruction upon God's creation itself. Sin enters into the story. The dominions of darkness are at play. There is all of this rebellion against God and God's rule. And God enters into the story and takes the rebellion into Himself through, His son, through the Son. Jesus becomes the one who sets into emotion again the theme of renewal or new creation. God is always the God who is the Creator. This is why I love that Chesterton in Orthodoxy said that, that God as Creator never wearies, never wearies of telling the Son 
to do it again. Or the moon to do it again. Which are the flowers, do it again. He has the spirit or the heart of a little child. The sense of wonder and the ability to create afresh out of even the mess. And what we will see, what is so fascinating about verse 2, there's tons of debate on verse 2 of Genesis um, chapter 1 around whether or not Genesis 1-1 stands apart from what is to follow. Because in Genesis 1-2, we see that now the earth is covered in water and darkness, and the Spirit of God is brooding over that water. Uh, and, and this is what's so interesting, that the water in darkness is a picture of chaos, of chaos and, uh, and, and disorder, uh, and darkness. Chaos and darkness are not generally good words uh, that are attributed to God. So the idea and the possibility is that God is bringing order to something that is already spun out of control. That is the view of many. Uh, is that Genesis 1-1 is the synopsis statement about God as the, as the creator of everything that is. Genesis 1-2 is, picks up at a point in that story. After the beginning, God now is over a world that is in darkness and chaos. And His ability to bring order out of chaos is a theme that we find in 1-2, whether it's meant metaphorically or there was some kind of rebellion before the rebellion that we know, spiritual rebellion, that's what some believe. I don't know, it doesn't say, and we shouldn't speculate. All I know is that the theme of God being able to bring order out of darkness and chaos is the picture of how important it is for us to understand that God is the creator who has the ability to create anew out of the disaster and the disorder and the chaos of our lives. The same word is used in Psalm 51.10. Create for me, O Lord, what? A pure heart. Renew a resolute spirit within me. The psalmist is turning to God as creator. He's recognizing he cannot create in himself a new heart. He is looking to God alone as the true creator. If I am going to be new creation, I'm not going to be able to buy into the lie that my society is putting forth that I can do anything I want and that I am my own God. This one verse dismantles the false philosophies of our day. God is the true creator. He is the source of all that is. He's the author of the story, and He is the one who creates the characters, and He has created the world in which those characters live, and He ultimately gets the final say. And I think that we need to, to recognize that this is why the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. There needs to be an awe and trembling at the fact that we're not just dealing with, uh, with somebody. You know, when I used to tour um, uh, full-time, I, I was so radically saved, I, and I, I had so much reverence and awe for Jesus. And I would say this, that I lacked an understanding of grace. And so with that lack of understanding of grace, I just would be so hard on the cavalier spirit, especially because we were playing youth groups all the time. So I'd see those Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. I love to just like go crazy on kids wearing those. Like, you really think when you meet Jesus, you're gonna call him homeboy? 
I, I don't think that's what you're going to call him. I, I don't know. I, when I read Isaiah, it seems to me that when someone has a vision of God, they fall on their face and cry out, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips who lives amongst a people of unclean lips. You're unclean. No, I, I didn't say that. But, but the point is this, is that there, is, there does need to be a reverence. When we come to meet with the living Christ, we are talking about the creator of the universe who has actually come down and met us. This is what makes His grace so beautiful. Yes, His grace means that in His sovereignty, He has chosen to meet sinners in, his sin, in their sin. But He is the creator God who is holy and holy other and above all things. And by His Word, all things are held together. And if that is the God that we worship and serve, then there should be, we should recognize that His grace is also holy. There is a holy perfection about God. And it is in that that we should also trust. Not just have awe and reverence, but it's not the fear that causes us to run away from Him, but it's a fear that causes us to run into His arms. Like a father who is so good that we don't want to offend him because he's that loving, because that same creator God is a God who desires to create anew within you every day. Something afresh. There is the possibilities every day. His mercies are new every day. Finally, there's God's domain. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Look what it says in Acts 17.24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. The Lord of everything. Hebrews 1.10 says, You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Everything up there and everything down here, if heaven is God's space, there is an intersection of heaven and earth that we are moving as the kingdom of God has come. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God that there is going to be a new heavens and new earth. And whatever that means, whether it's the greatest recycling project in human history or it's the absolute eradication of the earth and heavens as we know it and something totally new, it doesn't matter to me. What it tells me is that Jesus is the Lord of lords and He gets to determine how His domain shall be existed within you and I are his children you and I are his servants but you and I are also his friends and as the Lord of Lords and the creator of the heavens and the earth he wants us to recognize that it all belongs to him but let me just tell you friends the gospel tells us because if you just read this passage by itself and you think about God as sovereign and you think about him as creator and you think about him as Lord that's actually quite a terrifying vision but if you think about him as the author of a story of his own love for the story that he's telling and the center of that story which is his relationship with you a different vision begins to set in and when you think about him as the creator the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence that's a terrifying vision to me but when i think about him as the creator who creates anew within my heart 
the capacity to know Him and love Him. The Creator who has chosen to enter into my rebellion and bring forgiveness. Complete and total forgiveness. Whose mercies are new every day. Now all of a sudden, God as Creator takes on a very different vision. Yes, it creates awe and wonder and worship and surrender, but it's surrender to the One who loves. When you think about Him as the Lord, to be a bondservant of Jesus, we need to understand this. What does it mean to be a slave? It means that you are not your own. That you are under the control or the authority of someone else. Someone else owns you. And the world does not have a very positive vision of slavery. And understandably so. Because humans enslaving humans is an atrocity because no human is God. But when Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. When we let our world, our lives, our thoughts, our will be the controlling factor of our existence. When we play Lord over our own lives, we make terrible masters, don't we? We become enslaved by our own stupidity. But Jesus is an interesting owner, if you will. He's an interesting Lord because He's the only one who actually has the power to and the absolute willingness to set you free. He said, whoever the Son of Man sets free shall be free indeed. You guys, do you remember what it was like to first meet Jesus, to fall in love with Him? I know some of you have been Christians your whole lives, and that's a complicated question because it's hard to sort out your upbringing from your own personal relationship with Jesus. But if you know Jesus, can you at least think of that moment when He became as real to you as the other people in your lives. As the one who truly showed you that He isn't just this detached, terrifying Creator God who is Lord over the universe, but that He is the still soft voice that intimately invites us into communion with Himself. Who loves us and laid down His life for us. See, this is the question that we have to ask ourselves as we come to this close is that if He's the author behind, the Creator of, and the Lord over the story, what kind of God is He? And that is wrapped up in John 3.16. 3.16 and 17. Look at this verse. These two verses. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be what? Saved through Him. Does not, <laughs> that is not a part of that verse, by the way. That's part of Acts. I don't know why that's there. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. What a beautiful, what a beautiful reminder of this is at the heart of God. This is why we can trust Him as the author, the Creator, and the Lord. Because He's the same God who is determined to enter into our broken existence and make it His own. So that we could trust in Him and find the freedom 
that we and the rest of the world is seeking for and looking for in all the wrong places. He wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from the tyranny of yourself. You are a player in His story. You're not telling your own story. You're part of His grand story. And He has given us as image bearers a certain amount of freedom. It is what I call limited freedom. But as Christians, we are the only ones who are truly free. And the question is, is do we use the freedom that God has given to us through Jesus to once again turn back to the idea that we are the lords of our own lives? Or are we surrendered to His will and to His dominion and to His creativity within us? Are we surrendered to His story? And are we participating in a way that points the world to Him? Because that's why we're here. He loves you. On your worst day, He is crazy about you. He created all that this is as a place where you, each one of us, can be in communion with Him. As Augustine said, He loves each one of you as if you were the only ones to love. And I pray today that you would know God as author, creator, and Lord in a way that is not detached from the fact that he, it is all wrapped up in the one who hung on the cross for you, who loves you, who died for you and conquered death, sin, and the dominions of darkness, and who will return and who will put right all that is wrong in this world. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. And we know the beginning. And we're a part of it. So let's participate in what the author intended, which is his redemption. Amen? Let's pray.